You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here is your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there. Welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast once again. Great to have you listening. And I, I think I lied last week. I said Dave would be back with us this podcast, but he's gone one more week. So you're going to have to put up with me flying solo once again. And uh, But have no fear. Dave will be back, and hopefully life will be back to normal pretty soon. I guess he's enjoying his vacation and his, his time away, doing some fishing in Michigan and all that stuff. And so anyways, back at it next week with Dave. But this week, I'm excited to have my friend Ben Adams. And as I say on the podcast, I usually don't bring too many friends, like close friends, on the podcast. I don't know. Maybe maybe I just have boring friends. I'm not sure what it is. But uh, anyways, <laughs> I, I usually bring on like people that I don't know real well, like close, but maybe have acquaintances uh, with. But Ben Adams and I, uh, we've gotten to know each other better because we live in the same community here in Idaho, and he's an Idaho state representative. But we really don't talk much politics in this podcast. We talk more his journey. And Ben and I go back a number of years. We went to the same Bible college together back in the day. He grew up and was a mission. his family were missionaries to the Ukraine. And so he grew up in Christian household, and as he shares in this podcast, saw God work in many incredible ways became a Christian, all that stuff. But then he went through a time, went into the Marines, saw some pretty, pretty tough stuff and went through a time in his life where he basically got to the place where he said, God, the ball's in your court. You need to speak to me. And I I just, I don't know what to do. And he, he, this conversation is super raw, super um, real. And I, my hope, I guess, is that if you're in the place where you're um, you're struggling and you're saying, God, I need you to speak to me. It's been long and I feel like you've let me down and that you haven't shown up in the way that I wished you would have. Um, that this podcast would in- be encouraging to you and would give you hope. So let's go ahead and get into this conversation that I had with my friend, Ben Adams. Well, it's good to have my friend, Ben Adams local Idaho state representative here. What a cool title, eh? Yeah, what a cool title. Good to have him on the podcast today. And Ben, welcome. Hey, thanks. And uh, I can't take too much credit because uh, the people gave me that title. So yeah, that's, that's a good answer. I like that. I voted for you, too. You did. I did, yeah. You even put a sign <laughs> in your yard. You're the first... Um, the first politician that I voted for that I brought on the podcast. So oh, wow. there you go. And I think you're the only the second. We've done a hundred and I don't know, 113 of these episodes now. You're only the second one that I've had in studio. So that's that says something else. I don't know what it says, but it says something. It says I live in your district, is what it says. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, um, I, I, I just make it a habit. I usually don't bring my friends on the podcast. Just because, well, I probably have boring friends. <laughs> so, no, but I try to bring on different, you know, a wide variety of voices on the podcast. But wanted to bring you on because we've had so many interesting conversations. And you have a unique story that I, I think personally can be really beneficial to a lot of people, especially people that have gone through uh, different times of uh, high stress, dealing with difficult situations and we'll get into your time in the military, all that stuff. But anyway, I I just think it's going to be a very thought provoking conversation. So 
Going back in time, uh, several months ago, we went through the whole Ukraine crisis, which is ongoing, but really was at its uh, peak in some ways, um, at least from immediate attention in, in the West here. You, where were you born, and then uh, how soon till you moved to the Ukraine? Yeah, um, so I was born in Florida, in Jupiter, Florida, and where all the rich people live. That's right. I was not one of them. I probably was in the trailer park. Um, but when I was, you rake their leaves. That's right. Um, mow their grass. So when I was three years old, uh, my parents uh, took. Then it was five children. They ended up having six. And uh, moved us to the Ukraine, uh, to Kiev. So that would have been 1992. And I was there from 1992 until 2000. So about eight years. How much different was it then than it is today? I'm, sh I'm sure there's a lot of differences. Um, I was there when the first McDonald's showed up. Um, so quite a shift, right? Yeah. And so you had kind of a unique... Pr that's fascinating because you. I'm sure you had a unique perspective when all of this went down recently. And... and um, you know, did it bring back, I don't know, it seemed like that would bring back some memories to you oh, about yeah. all those times. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it actually made me reconnect with some folks that um, I had grown up with over there who were still over there that, you know, I'd lost contact with, and it's like, oh, snap. Yeah. You're going through it now, so yeah. better reach out to you. Um, and, you know, of course, having you know some affinity for the ukrainian people yep. and understanding their history um really uh really has made this a, a ch really a challenging uh topic because you don't you know you don't support the war you don't want the war to happen but you know why it's happening yeah and that's something exactly. that a lot of people miss yeah it i'm trying to think it was one of the first episodes of this podcast i had your mom and dad so it's been years ago oh wow that i had them on and they talked a little bit about their journey and your dad was beaten almost to the point of his life um how old were you when that happened uh, i think i would have been four or five but it's one of my earliest memories so i'm sure there's a lot yeah. that i haven't listened to that episode but give us the brief snapshot of that i mean do you remember that yeah time? so uh, i was we were living in an apartment um, in Kiev, Ukraine, on the first floor, and essentially the power structure had broken down after the Soviet Union collapsed, and so you didn't have um, the traditional like the, the government really didn't have any power. It was the hard power that was left. So whatever was left of the KGB and uh, Americans were rich compared to them, right? Yep. And yep. so they. Uh, uh, at one night broke in and in banks right basically couldn't put any money oh, in you banks. did not put money in banks yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> you might see that again someday you know in our lifetime uh, <laughs> unless you wanted to say goodbye forever huh yeah yeah so they uh broke in and uh, my dad was in his office preparing for his sermon the next the next day and uh he had to run he heard my mom scream and ran through our room uh all four of us boys were sleeping in the same room. Mm. And uh, I was somewhere in between like half sleep. Does yep. that make sense? So like I, my eyes were open, I could see it, but I was kind of groggy. And I just remember uh, seeing a bunch of shadows beating somebody on the floor. Oh, wow. And then uh, the next thing I remember was our bed, our bunk bed being knocked over uh, in the tussle. And... Um, so this I, was happening right in your room. Yes. So I was wow. on the bottom 
bunk. Mm. And uh, so when it flipped over, I was kind of barricaded, barricaded in. Um, and I mean, after that, that evening's memories were pretty vivid. Um, so first childhood memories, basically. You yeah. Know. One of my first. Yeah, man. I mean, for a lot of people, I'm sure, I mean, just the trauma of that. Have you pointed back to that numbers of times since then? And like, like, how did you deal with that years afterwards? Because <laughs> that's, that's something, because I think of my little girl, right? She's five years of age. Imagine her going through something like that. To, and for those that don't know in our audience, I mean, your dad was beaten almost to the point of his life. Like it was very, very serious. Um, yeah. Like how did you deal with that? I guess you probably didn't think about it much afterwards in some ways. Yeah. Well, um, you got to remember, I mean, this is post Soviet union. Um, I mean, there were local, local kids that were huffing glue under the balconies to stay warm during the winter because they had nowhere to sleep and no clothes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. hardship was something you saw a lot. Yep. Um, and I guess, you know, we were due yeah. to take a little bit of that too. And so <laughs> it just kind of, um, and, and again, I mean, did it change your perspective on life at all as you, as you grew older, like about, I don't know, just the whole idea of suffering, um, of, of being in a culture where, cause I, one of the things I remember from your mom and dad's conversation, I thought that was interesting. He said prior to that, he had struggled to connect with the locals in some respects because they felt like, okay, here's these Americans they are over here to minister to us. And then as soon as suffering hits, they're just going to leave. Right. They're just going to go back to the U S and they were shocked when your mom and dad stuck around and stayed there. And they were like, Oh, well, okay. These people must actually like believe what they say they believed. And did it shift your perspective on like, cause, cause I say that because in the West, I think sometimes we really struggle with the idea of suffering and don't know what to do with it. And I think we um, sometimes handle it the worst <laughs> um, because we don't go through suffering as, as like other countries um, often do. Yeah, I think it varies uh, regionally in the West, and I have some theories on that, actually. So uh, in in urban areas, especially in the mm -hmm. east part of the, of, of the West, in the eastern part of the Western countries, right, um, they're separated from it by a lot. But if you look at, I mean, we're in Idaho. If yeah. you look at uh, a lot of the folks that, are you know fifth sixth seventh generation Idahoans their their ancestors came out here on wagon trains and had people dying of dysentery and uh, so a lot of the folks yeah in the western states specifically in the Mountain West are not as as are are not as they haven't distanced as as far from that hmm. suffering hmm. interesting um, um, one thing I did recognize at least. Um, growing up over there, suffering was part of life. You don't always enjoy. Yep. Yeah. You know, enjoy that part. Well, and I think sometimes in the West, and it's interesting how you made that distinction. Um, we sometimes do whatever we can to avoid suffering. And obviously I don't want to suffer. No one wants to suffer. Um, but I think there's also something with that, that um, because it's, been a part of life for so many generations for for years since the beginning of time and and, and we it, we live in this 
extremely unique era where we can avoid a lot of those things with modern medicine and, and all that stuff. Anyways, um, kind of maybe just a side note, but going into your teenage years, all that, when did you first come to faith in Christ? When did you make that your own personal deal? Was that younger in life, older? Yeah. So, uh, and, I, and to put this into perspective, I mean, I saw God move a lot. Uh, you know, there are folks that talk about, oh, well, I experienced God's presence and I, yeah, I saw God do incredible things. I saw God do incredible things. So it was like, very, give, give me two or three. Yeah, um, like that, that are like high points in your mind. Yeah, I remember a, a woman in Ukraine having a demon cast out of her, and her turning into a totally different person. Mm. Um, went from the devil to sweet as pie. Hmm. Um, you know, I remember us not having food not having gas not having you know money to get to the next church and god provided it just uh so there was uh the the concept of faith and being able to actually have sight to see it um was pretty early so it was having a, a belief in god was one thing now surrendering to god was a different one and i think uh that probably happened in my early teens, kind of a gradual thing, or because it feels like a lot of people that I bring on the podcast, it's, they don't necessarily point back to maybe one specific time, but it's kind of a gradual thing that happens. Was it for you a specific time or more of a gradual thing? No, I I would say it was it was gradual. It was growing, mm. right? So mm. if you're gonna, I'm a I'm a I'm the type of person that if I'm gonna buy into something, I gotta know. That yeah, it's the real deal. Yeah. And, um, so over time, you know, I became convinced and, and I think that, but in my early teens was when I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. I, I believe this. It's interesting. You talk about those experiences and I know I take that for granted. When I look back on different things in my past, whether it was going to different, um, camp events and seeing the way God worked in different services among teenagers, I remember just some of those services, just incredible times, different personal points in my life where I just unmistakably, you just know that God is working, God is active. And it's funny sometimes, I'm curious to get your perspective on how, how you can almost divorce those two things where you're absolutely 100% convinced God is working and then you can go out and do dumb stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, how, I don't know, how do you reconcile those two things that sometimes happen? Um. You know, in scripture, it talks about, I mean, we know the story of Israel. Yeah. I mean. Coming out of Egypt. Yeah, got part of the sea. A few days later. <laughs> and and yeah. it was just, I think it's partly human nature. Hmm. Um, yep. It, it's our human nature to, um, we're, we're selfish beings, right? And we're very short-sighted, unfortunately. Yep. All too often. Back in the day, years ago, we went to the same uh, Bible college in Cincinnati. Uh, man, that's got to be, what, 10, 12? I can't even think. It's probably both. No, close to 15 years ago yeah. now. Um, We're getting old. Did, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Um, in those, uh, d your dad being a missionary and all that stuff, does that the path that you thought you were going to be, like you were going to be a missionary, you were going to be a pastor, was that kind of where you thought you were going to go in life? Or, did you, or were you just kind of an open book and it was like, hey, wherever? I thought I was going to be a pastor. Um, because of your dad? or I'm sure that influenced it a lot. I mean, right. I grew up grew up around it. 
and um, I knew I knew the toll it took. Um, I knew I knew that it was going to be uh, challenging, but I had seen it my whole life, uh, and so ministry was kind of what I knew. And for those to know, you just said the tool it took. You kind of glossed over that, but for people that have been raised in a ministry home, and if you haven't been raised in a ministry home, you don't realize when you say the tool it took, like what that means. Like, because it's, how would you describe that? Uh, in my experience, it was you give until you have nothing left. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the opportunity for people to take advantage of you. Um, and, and all those things. Um, yeah, you and, learn to try and read people and give as much as you can, but not be. Uh, yeah. T- and there's a fine line there, yeah. right? Because some people really need help, yeah. and they don't know. They don't even know that they're taking advantage, right? And they don't know. They just yeah. they're in such a desperate place that they've gone back to. And we talked about we j- briefly touched on human nature, right? Mm-hmm, but we're mm-hmm. selfish creatures, and I mean. When someone's rock bottom, yeah, they don't they don't recognize that all all the time. Well, and I'm sure growing up and watching that, right, seeing the different ways that well, your mom and dad obviously talking about that, how they're ministering and giving them them themselves, going over to Ukraine, sacrificing income, you know, all the savings up for retirement that they could have been doing in the prime of their lives, or laying all that aside to go over to Ukraine, and then what happens, right? ends up getting beaten to almost to the point of his life and you think that is so unfair that's so unjust right like like you know the the person that should get beat up is the person that isn't doing anything right (laughs) and here's the person that that's giving it all and that but that's often the way it is it seems to be is is that people that do make those high sacrifices then it's almost like the way they they often suffer more I think we're challenged. I think folks that are doing what God's calling them to do. Right. Uh, and this is how it was always phrased, shaped to me, was if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're not doing something for God, then the devil is happy with where you're at, and he's not going to fight you. Mm. And what's the point of, he wants you to be comfortable. Yeah. He wants you to be yeah. there. And uh, sometimes when you start pushing, and I've experienced this many times in my own life, where you... You step out, you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and it's like, bam, wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but We'll get to that in a yeah. second, because I think we're going to circle back to that in a few minutes. You don't become a pastor. You don't go the same route with, as your dad. Instead, you go to in the Marines. Yes. Quite yeah. a different route. <laughs> but oddly enough, some I'm, I'm guessing some comparable similarities in, in some ways in terms of, of um, discipline um, and, and commitment and, and certain things. So what was that like? What year did you get in? And just walk us through some of that. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. I used to joke because I have three brothers and they're all pastors uh, and I'm the only one and I ended up being a Marine. Yeah. And uh, I used to joke that, well, your job is to save souls and mine's to deliver them, um, which, you know, is kind of funny. Um, hey, everybody needs a job. Um, so I joined the Marine Corps in 2009. Um, I had 
gone to a couple years of Bible college, um, had kind of hit a point in my life where I didn't know what God had in store for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, had, uh, I had, I, I had hit a point where I didn't really feel like I was supposed to be a pastor anymore. And I was kind of in that phase of lost, if you will, where you, right. you're like, okay, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to go now. And, um, I went back home and prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day I woke up and I mean, it was like a ton of bricks. I said, Oh snap. I'm, mm. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Just kind of an aha moment. Yeah. It was weird. Cause I had never, uh, I mean, most young boys, you know, have played army at some point in time growing up and this and that and the other, and they've played around, but, I had never really taken it seriously. I'd never talked to a recruiter before. I'd never. Is it in your family much? So I have an uncle yeah. who uh, did 20 years in the army and I have. Uh, so my great grandpa and his brother are both buried in France from World War II. But, um, but nothing immediate. Nothing immediate. Yeah. And so it was uh, it was a shock to everybody in my family. Um, now, I'm, I'm guessing I'm just going to take a wild guess here. When you first made that decision well hey your dad did this your brothers are doing this right um was it kind of like man ben's gone off the rails (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know you'll have to ask them but i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess well there was a lot of shock so when i first sat down at the breakfast table that morning i looked across at my dad and i said hey dad i've decided what i'm gonna do he said oh what's that and i said i'm gonna join the marine corps You've got to be kidding me. That was his response. <laughs> so uh, He was thrilled. Oh, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. My parents, uh, you know, they're supportive. They they didn't know why I was doing it, um, but they didn't stand in my way. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're very proud, um, yeah. which is a natural Well, because for, for some, I'm guessing, right, for, for some – that decision to join the Marines is kind of a step of well, necessarily rebellion, but it's, it's a step of, okay, I just want to get away from things. And they were, I'm guessing they were probably thinking something like that where you hadn't actually, I don't know, maybe thought it through or what they had in mind. Um, what years were you in the service? Yeah, I was in from 2009 to 2014 is when I got out. And, um, you know, it is interesting. You talk about, the idea of oh, well, a lot of folks because it is. I mean, we used to joke around uh, in the Marine Corps that we were the Lost Boys mm. uh, because we just, you know, we were from all sorts of different backgrounds, but we all had something in common, and it was that we had decided we were gonna yeah. s- sell ourselves to Uncle Sam for a while. Yeah. Um. But you know, my my uh, my perception on that was. I didn't really understand why I felt like I was supposed to join, but I, I was supposed to join. And, and I, uh, that looking back now, you know, hindsight, I, I see that as, uh, you talked about, you know, wanting to get away. Right. I think God was trying to get me to get away. And so when you go, when now put this in context of the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, where were we at timeline wise there in when you're talking about the the heat of the battle and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so Iraq um, was 
still still going, but the combat deployments from Marines to Iraq was starting to wind down, and our shifted had we had shifted our focus back to Afghanistan. To put it into perspective, 2011 was uh, the last surge under President Obama, where we sent in an additional hundred thousand troops, which is a lot of troops yeah. uh, to have in a country. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a pivotal time where we were trying to re, regain control. Um, from a foreign policy perspective, we'd kind of taken our eyes off the ball, right? Uh, in Afghanistan to focus on Iraq after two thousand three, and two thousand nine, two thousand ten was about when we were like, oh snap, Afghanistan's getting a little nuts. We probably need to shift our focus over there. When you first went over, was it uh, like? What were the biggest, I guess, aha moments for you? Um, I'm sure there were so many of, you know, this is, how was it different than what you anticipated? Well, um, most people, when they think of war, they think of an organized opposition, right? Um, and, and historically, that's largely been the case. Yeah. And in the U.S., you know, it's easy. It's hard for the media specifically to present to the American people what we're fighting over there. So they would just blankly call it Taliban, right? Taliban fighters, Taliban yeah. fighters. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I was headed over there that I realized, oh man, Taliban fighters is an ideology. It's not a faction. I mean, we made them a faction. How would you describe it then? The enemy you were fighting? A population that didn't want to be tamed hmm. and, and uh, you know that may be confrontational to some people but anybody that's been over there um, will acknowledge that I mean the ideology that they believe in is highly independent don't ever change repel invaders keep to the old ways yep. um, that makes it awfully hard to build roads and hospitals and bridges yeah. and so when you got, how did you reconcile? Because I'm sure you don't have to go into extreme detail here, but I'm sure you witnessed so many different things that were just um, mind blowing in many ways. How did you reconcile what you saw over there with your Christian faith? First, I didn't. Like, was there a point, a period of your life where you just kind of gave up on God and said, "Man, I, don't, I just I can't reconcile these two? Yeah. So, um, not to totally glaze over this, but so I did two deployments there. I did one in 2011 during the surge, one 2012 during the drawdown, very different roles. Um, came back to the States and I had, um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that was debilitating. Um, I was, I went, I was at a Naval hospital for a year and a half. Yeah, uh, them trying to. We're at, we're at uh, Balboa Naval Hospital okay. San, in San Diego, mm -hmm. and they tried like crazy to try and piece my psyche back together. Uh, and I, at the time, of course, I didn't understand why it was happening, but it was essentially I had been deploying, deploy, deploy, and when you're deployed, uh, you can't think about what's already happened. You can only think about what's ahead. So what happens when you come back to the States and you're no longer deploy, deploy, deploy? Well, all that 
processing that hasn't happened, um, it catches up with you. What was that like stepping off the airplane, walking in San Diego, right? Um, and interacting with American society after being overseas in a combat zone. I mean, did it just feel like almost like an out of body experience? What, what was that like to come back? Well, it definitely didn't feel real. Um, and is that largely the case with many Marines, those those that come back? Um, is that largely how they would feel as well? You know, I've talked to guys that have come back who it didn't phase them. Nothing phased them. Like, do you think it really just, did phase them? Like, or, or, or is maybe that more Maybe they're better at compartmentalizing, maybe. Huh. Um, I'm sure somewhere... Somewhere in there, I mean, it's it's got to bother them. But uh, like, because I, I just want to tap into that for just yeah. a second, because I'm curious. Like, because you have obviously Christian faith, and so there's this ideal you have of the world. And if someone does not have that, or they have a very different ideology, like, because one of the biggest things of the Christian faith is you can't compartmentalize. You can't just have all these separate areas of your life, and so you kind of have to bring it together that my character matters and all different aspects of, of who I am. And so who I am here is the same person I am over here. Um, is that, you know, again, I don't want to speak out of turn, but is, was that part of it that, that makes it difficult to reconcile those, those differences, I guess. Going into combat and it's different for everybody. In a, in a combat environment, you have to compartmentalize. Now, the Marine Corps does a really good job of, uh, you know, there's some core tenets uh, that they teach you honor, courage, commitment, and they ingrain those in you. Um, just like in, you know, Christianity, we have our, you know, our uh, ideals that we that mm-hmm. are foundational to what a Christian is supposed to be, you know, right. how they're supposed to act. What happens when those collide? Mm. Uh, you either can compartmentalize them or you can't. Yeah. Um, and in, in my case, uh, in my second deployment, um, we had a police chief who was a child rapist. It was, sorry, where was this at? In, in, Afghanistan. in Afghanistan, yeah. Uh, who was a child rapist and had a child sex slave. Um, and it's something that it's the underbelly of the Afghan war. And we were propping him up. Um, we, he had connections to the high up, high, high up in the Afghan government. So we couldn't get rid of him. It, it was a terrible situation. It's called Bakubazi. It's uh, they dress up boys in makeup and dresses and make them slaves. Oftentimes for life. If a guy likes his little boy enough, he'll castrate him when he hits puberty and keep him forever. I mean, wow. it's, it's uh and, and again and you feel like you're being sent over to defend someone like this. Well, we were training those people. I mean, yeah. th- and so all of a sudden it clashes with with that um, those ideals of you know be above reproach. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that ain't it. You know. Um, and it goes against you know the ideals that you learn you know as a Christian. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, how do you cope with that? when you feel like those ideals do clash? You know, I think people cope with them all sorts of ways. In my case, I picked up a a lot of bad habits. Um, So I would drink heavily. 
um, picked up smoking. How heavily drinking? Uh, heavy. Uh, <laughs> three to, I was probably drank myself to sleep three or four times a week. Consistent. Um, and that was, you know, while I was in the core, but also, uh, when I got out, I mean, it was, a. what's your wife thinking through all this Becca? I mean, she's friends with my wife, Janan. Um, you came back, you probably, you know, you kind of think I'm the same person, but it's obvious you're not the same to her. I mean, how, how did you guys process that together? Like, like, you know, my, uh, my wife is a very patient woman and God knew that I was going to need that coming back. You know, I didn't see the difference. Obviously she did. And she, uh, you know, they have courses that they teach women, um, military spouses. It's not a new phenomenon to have these kind of, um, did she go through that? Did you guys go through that together or, or was that something that you hadn't gone through any of this stuff and it kind of hit her by surprise? So she'd been told by a lot of her friends, hey, this is, he's going to come back different, right? Oh, uh, man, that must be, I'm just going to say, that's got to be pretty scary for her. Thinking, you know, thinking, man, who's, you know, I married this guy, right? And then who's coming back, right? Um, yeah. Well, we had two different, uh, so not only did the, did the women have those, the military spouse support system that they have there, um, you know, for my side of things, we all just went through something together. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it's not just like, oh, well, you got your onesies and twosies that come back and are coping. Yeah. You got everybody that's coming back and coping. Uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, when we came back, they made us sit through several days of of briefs, safety briefs, like don't beat your wife, don't beat your kids, don't kill anybody. Do you find when you hear on the news sometimes, and I don't want to get into the whole political thing, but it, it, you can't almost avoid it, where we sometimes talk so much in safe language, even the things that you just mentioned right there. Well, how dare you even mention that stuff, right? <laughs> we almost live in a, uh, this dream world where we, that like that stuff, you don't even talk about that, right? Because you're always the kind and patient person. This is always how you present yourself on social media and whatever, right? This is the image that we all portray. But when you get something as clear, black and white as war, right, and, and the trauma that comes with that, um, you're forced to deal with this stuff head on, whereas a lot of people aren't forced to deal with it. And, you know, how did you process that when all of a sudden for the first time in your life you're processing things that you never would have really thought you, you would have had to process? You know, uh, when I was... In, I don't think I processed a lot at all. I think I suppressed a lot. Um, because you were looking forward, right? Looking to the next deployment, looking to the next field operation. Um, you couldn't look back and try and, oh man, well, let's think through those situations and, and kind of work through them. No, that's, you're on a mission. And because everyone else around you is going through the same thing, it's easier to look forward than back. And I, how often does that happen in trauma, right? Where something mm -hmm. traumatic happens mm -hmm. and, well, just got to push through it. You know, yeah. it's a very, uh, very boomer thing to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> just keep looking forward. Yeah. Um, there is something to be said about, uh, 
the concept that you don't display that in public mm-hmm. in the West anymore. You don't do that. I mean, it's too real for people. Right? That's just like what's too real. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, the idea of being blunt about realities in the world. So, um, for instance, war. Right? War is something that has existed since our earliest human records, yeah. right? Um, and... Well, a horrendous, a horrendous war. When you go back, yeah. and I was thinking of, of um, I was reading a book, How Christianity Changed the World. You look back several thousand years ago, you go back to the Romans, Greeks, I know you're a student of history. You look at the brutality um, that just was a part of everyday society, not just war, but stuff like infanticide. You know, it, it, it just, that was commonplace, that we don't even think about on a day-to-day basis here. It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm a creationist is because I don't think we're actually evolving. Hmm. I think we're, we do the same things. We just do them differently. Yeah. Um, adapting is one thing. It's become better at masking them in a, in a, in a sense. Oh, for sure. And in a, in the society we live in today, I mean, let's be honest, everything is built for masking. Social media is a facade of who you are. Right. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate because, you know, 60 years ago, folks would say, well, I have, you know, if you asked someone, how many friends do you have? Yeah. Like real friends compared to today's world. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a number that you have on your Facebook friends. Right. That's not, that's not your number. Well, and, and part of it, I think. You know, you think of the TV shows like Breaking Bad. There's a reason shows like that I think are so popular because we have this image that we want to create. And then there's this thing, there's this world where, okay, if I didn't have any of these restrictions, I could go out and actually live the life that I wanted to live. And and all these things that are suppressed, I would go out and I would actually live this way. And I guess, I guess to your point, it's like, I, I think a lot of times people don't confront the very, we're able to live behind kind of a facade and present an image of ourselves to others and not really deal with the deep things that are going on inside of us. And whereas war, stuff like that, pretty much forces you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't hide from it. Um, You can suppress it temporarily. I mean, what were the biggest things you learned about yourself during this time? Oh, that's a huge question. Uh, because if I look at myself in 2014 when I got out of the Marine Corps to now, uh, I wouldn't recognize myself. I mean, I um, a lot of self-reflection, um, years and years of therapy through the, the Veterans Affairs. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I lost my faith there for when I got out. It was over. I was, whew. I had seen so much that just did not like you. Like we talked about that. How do you, how do you work through two things that are so opposite of each other? Mm. When you have a worldview that puts and and this is, it puts God in a box. Yeah. This is what God is. This is what is good. Yep. And everything outside of that is bad. But what happens when I'm doing things that are outside of that box uh, and it's quote unquote good, right? Mm. Where is, where is the, where are the lines anymore? Um, 
when you say you lost your faith, what do you mean by that? How long was that period? What was your thoughts of God during that time? Yeah, so it started with um, when I started having serious um, post-traumatic stress disorder sim- uh, um, symptoms, I, I mean, where I couldn't walk into a grocery store um, if, without my body having a physical reaction to who's around the corner. Hmm. Does, is that person trying to kill me? Hmm. And even even after time, like over time, I was able to work through that in my head of, okay, they're, they're probably not here to kill me. They're not actually um, hostile. But my body betrayed me. Hmm. So my body would still say, yes, they are. And I would have, um, you know, crazy panic attacks, meltdowns. I couldn't breathe. I had to leave. Um, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, I couldn't be in a grocery store for more than five minutes. I mean, it was rough. So I stopped trusting myself. I stopped. I had to teach myself to not believe what my body and my mind were telling me because I had found them to not um, actually live up to reality, which is something that was devastating for me. That's almost the most frightening thing because you can go through a lot of pain in life, but when you feel like your own body's betraying you, not just in a physical sense, but like in an emotional, mental state, um, that's that's one of the most terrifying things I, I think that a person can go through. Yeah, well, I mean... If you, I, my entire life, and especially in the Marine Corps in a combat environment, you have to trust your gut. You have to trust your instincts, right? If your spidey sense says, hey, that kid's up to no good, or that person's up to no good, or maybe that, you know, piece of trash is something that, you know, is going to blow up in a second. If you get that vibe, you follow it. Because the outcome, if you don't follow it, could be lethal. Yeah, for, not oh, just for you, right, but right, for right. others. Um, and when you turn around, and all of a sudden, you can't trust that anymore because it's giving you a bunch of false flags. Like, how would you describe living that way? Is it is it you know to use a, a rough comparison? Is it like almost being in a car crash and feeling the emotional high of that, where it's like, man, my life was almost over, and then almost living in that spike, that heightened sense of alertness, awareness for like weeks and months on end, how would you describe it? I would describe it as not living at all. It moved past the point of a high. Hmm. It was more like living a nightmare. Every, uh, everything that possibly could go wrong felt like it was going wrong. Uh, everything that could be a danger was a danger. And, um, you know, just to put this into perspective, between my first and my second deployments, I didn't have a good night's sleep. And how long was that? Uh, About 10 and a half months. Man. So in 10 and a half months, um, I never slept more than four hours at a time. Um, I rarely... Uh, didn't have nightmares. I mean, I just, for, for that whole 10, 10 and a half minutes, uh, 10 and a half months. And the first good night's sleep that I had was the first night that I was back in Afghanistan. Yeah. And I slept like a baby. Why? Why do you think that is? Felt normal. Huh? 
So, th- you know, and this, this is a kind of a concept, but it's like if you, so when you're in, in a heightened environment, right, your adrenaline is higher, running at a higher yeah. tempo, um, and a higher threshold, right? It never gets below this, what maybe back, you know, in, in the civilian world, you would rarely hit that level of testosterone. Right, or, right. You're, you're living there. That's your baseline, and everything fluctuates higher than that. So compare it to the idea of someone who is addicted to drugs, right? Mm. I mean, I'm a cocaine addict, and so I, when I'm on cocaine, that's my normal. And anything less than that just feels like nothing. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, it was a very heavy part of life. I mean, I, it, looking back now, I mean, it feels like it was a blur and for several, for, uh, years and years and years, I couldn't remember anything from those, uh, from that almost two years in Afghanistan. Why do you think, you know, I'm assuming you think, you know, you believe that, you know, it was God's will for you to join the Marines, that that was the right thing to do. Looking back, I mean, can you see any connections or does it feel like a part of my life that I wish never existed? Oh. Well, there was a part of my life where I definitely didn't wished that it hadn't existed. Uh, but time has a way of helping us clear clear things out and understand why things happen. And in my case, you know, I felt like Before I joined the Marine Corps and before I deployed and before I broke for all intensive purposes, psychologically and physically, um, and it kind of goes back to that analogy of God can't use somebody who's not willing to acknowledge their own, their own shortcomings or their own weakness. Mm. Um, I, I definitely was one of those people that I can do this on my own. Yeah. I can I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish on my own. Because that was just my mentality, right? Uh and there is nothing that'll change your mind faster than when God takes away your ability to function as a human being. Hmm. Hmm. Um when he you know, when you no longer have the ability to to feel, you feel numb and angry and uh, well, depressed. Would that, would that be mean, the biggest thing, like, in, from your perspective, looking at God during that time? Was it anger at God because, man, like, I feel like I followed your will, did what you wanted me to do, and now you've allowed my body to betray me? Like, how how would you say that? Some of it was anger. I think more of it was just... Again, it was, came down to just like a, a doubt. Yeah. Uh, when you when you have the feelings that when you're when you're sure that something is what it is, right? I know I know that this cup in my hand is a green mug. And you had great Christian experiences, like we yeah. talked about that earlier. Yeah, like you no. know God exists. And all of a sudden, everything that you believed in 
you've got to step back. Question. So what I did was I stepped back and I threw out everything. I mean everything. I stopped. I stopped believing almost everything that I had ever believed. Mm-hmm. And I said, if it's true, it'll come back. Hmm. If it's tr- if it's true, it'll hold up to time. Hmm. And it took. To be fair, it probably took three years before God really showed himself to me. In a, you ever in go to church way. during that time? Periodically, my wife would convince me to go to church, and I did. Well, what did that feel like when you went? I would sit in the back row. I uh, didn't like people, didn't talk to people. Got there after the song service because it was too loud. Yeah. And uh, a lot of churches turn their lights down mm. during song service, right? Mm. And I did not like that. Uh, and leave as soon as the sermon's over, and uh, and probably play on my phone yeah. for most of the sermon. Just I'm not here for me; I'm here for her. And you know, before we got before we had kids, before we got married, we had decided that we were going to raise our kids uh, in a Christian home, and that we were going to teach them, um, you know, what was true, and we were going to, you know, they were going to be in church. Yeah, that that was something that was bedrock, and um, so after my son was born, it kind of became a priority to go. And there were many times where I just would look at my wife and say, "I'm not going." Did, today. It, did it feel like almost so. like the, the, it's just church isn't real? In the sense, I say that because you you said being over whether it was Afghanistan or Iraq, there's a sense of realness. That this is, okay, this is reality. And then all of a sudden, I go to a church, and for lack of a better way of expressing it, everyone's happy. The worship team's, you know, singing loud music. We dim the lights. And then a pastor comes on and preaches this uplifting message that feels so out of touch with the reality that you've experienced. Is, is that some of what's going on in your mind? You know, I stopped. I stopped listening. I felt like I'd heard all the sermons. When you grow up as a pastor's kid, a missionary kid, your dad's a pastor, you're there every time the doors are open. You've read the Bible three or four times through. You know what it says. And, you know, and uh, like we talked about, uh, you know, we had the opportunity to go to, you know, a Christian college where we got to dig into that a little bit, yeah. right? And and really have you know, try and ground ourselves in an understanding. Um yeah, nothing nothing felt real. Everything felt like oh, everybody's just dancing to this to the song of yeah. the Pied Piper. Right. And everybody's walking through the motions. But uh I yeah. I say that because I, I think there's a number of people probably listening to this podcast that have that same thought, that they might not want to express it, but deep down when they get to church, it's a very difficult thing. They're the person that they'd rather sit in their truck, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the person that they would, um, if they could, that they're, they want their wife and their kids to be happy or vice versa, right? And... They want their family, they like the cultural upbringing of a church environment, but something is just missing. It's, it's like that lack of connection, and it's like it almost doesn't feel real anymore because it's such a, a disconnect from the real life. And 
And honestly, I guess I think of the MondayChristian.com. I mean, that's one of the reasons the whole idea is turning Sunday belief into Monday action. And that's one of the big things that I has made me so passionate about this is, is so many people I think I've just heard from experience. They've had not the same experience you've had, but they've grown up maybe in a church environment and something in your case traumatic has happened. And then it's like, well, what do I do? Like, how do I reconcile my faith? And so I guess I'm curious, like, how did you now, obviously you attend church and from our conversations really enjoy it. Um, how did you get to a place where your faith was restored? What was the first, uh, let's start with this. What was the first inkling, I guess, that that was starting to come around again? Well, like I said, I threw everything out and I said, if it's real, it'll, it'll come back. And over the span of about a year, I felt like, uh, you know, I just observed. And uh, started to, I started to kind of piece together in my head, like, okay, yeah, you know, this is still real, but I couldn't, I couldn't profess. Like, I just, it just didn't, yeah. and uh, there, I'm sure there's a scripture about you know, David, King David talks about, you know, having his, being purified after returning from battle hmm. before he can praise the Lord. And I do feel like that applied to me in some way. I just didn't feel, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't feel like I'd been purified there. I couldn't do it. And um, so over time, I'd got to the point where I was like, yeah, no, I believe it. I just... I don't know how to drink. Hmm. I don't know how to actually like buy in. Hmm. Maybe that was some hesitancy with having felt hurt, damaged, and not even, you know, I know this is overused, but not feeling good enough. I mean, how, how often do we as Christians... Uh, struggle with that concept even well after we've been established in our faith and we believe in this and there's still that that good enough mentality well when you've thrown out everything with the bath water and now you're just waiting to see what floats to the top it feels awfully weird to be like oh yeah and by the way hmm. this is what I believe now I figured it out <laughs> was there anyone you could talk to during the time aside from your wife you know, because when you're changing yeah. that much, that's hard, right? And I think of people that are listening to this, that they're making changes in their life, or they're or they're trying to process things. And sometimes you try to go and you process that with someone else, even close friends and family, and they're like, "Wait, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you might not believe in God. What? Like, okay, you, you maybe you need some help, right? and almost not be the best friend that they could be. So, like, what was your experience? Something that I want the audience to really understand. God doesn't give up. And he's faithful to provide the help that we need. And the and the maybe the ear that we need to hear us and the, the shoulder we need to lean on or whatever the case is um, to help us through those times. And if we can't see that person or we can't see what who God's going to bring in. He still brings them. 
Hmm. So in my case, he brought somebody who uh, had been in the Marine Corps, uh, professed to be a Christian, um, but had some very unique beliefs that were different than mine. Hmm. Almost a quirky guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, he had some very strong beliefs that definitely did not jive with what I understood about God. Kind of not we the not the obvious guy you'd pick that God would use to. No, no. But I. It's funny how often that. By the <laughs> way, it's, it's funny how often that's the case because different people bring on the podcast and and they'll say the same thing and people they would never would have expected right and God has a funny way of using people uh, like that. That's true. It's a good lesson. And you know what. God brought him into my life. And it's funny because I was very hesitant to get close to anyone. I didn't talk to anyone deeper than surface level. Yeah. Um, protecting myself, right? I saw it as, you know, protecting myself from hurt or judgment or whatever the case was. Well, and who could understand what you've been through too? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this guy hadn't hadn't deployed, hadn't done the same things mm-hmm. that I had. But God chose to use him. And he was like the hook that went and get away. Like he wouldn't let you get away. <laughs> so it seemed like everywhere I was, he'd randomly show up. That's, that's where, oh, I was just here doing this. And it, it got to the point, again, you got to remember, I came... I was coming out of a very paranoid part of my life. Right. Uh, and so I was like, okay, is this dude stalking me? Like, what the heck is this? Cause it, <laughs> and it became abnormal that he was always where I was. Right. So I'd go to the grocery store, I'd run into him. I'd, uh, you know, go to the park, <laughs> find him at the park. Um, it's like a movie scene. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, what the heck is A really going cheesy on? movie scene where the guy's always there. <laughs> but you know, we, we struck up a, you know, a friendship and we're still friends to this day, but, um, God really used him to break down some of those walls that I had built. And was there one thing in particular that stood out where he just said something that clicked or. Yeah. Yeah. So like I had mentioned before, I hadn't been able to profess and he knew and I knew that I was a believer, but I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't say anything. And uh, one day we were at his house, and he, uh, you know, was reading through some some uh, scripture, and then he turned around, and he looked straight at my face, and he goes, Ben, I'm going to tell you something. From a very young age, I believe that God made me a prophet. <laughs> well, from my background, that is a hard stop. Like that is a hey, you're like you're probably the guy that on your LinkedIn profile you have the word apostle in front of your name. <laughs> That's right. I, I looked at him with this shock. Yeah. Just like, what are you talking about, man? And the only scripture that was rolling beware false prophets, beware false prophets, beware false prophets, beware false prophets. I mean just roaring through my head. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned before, we had already, you know, it was already established that we did not necessarily have the same um, religious background or ideology or perspective on things. Yeah, I mean, it right. was very, 
very different. And so I'm looking at this guy like, you know, he's got a flower growing out of his head. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> and uh, he goes, and, you know, I believe that this, you know, I've been called to, you know, bring a new truth or something. And he, and he just starts talking. And my brain just went blank. <laughs> I'm just hearing, where false prophets, where false prophets, where false prophets. And, uh, you know, he stepped outside for a little bit. And I'm just sitting there, like, almost in shock. Like, because everything in me wanted to say, hey, dude, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> you ain't one. <laughs> yeah, I believe, I believe, uh, there is one because you know in his in his discussion when he was talking about his revelation, um, it very quickly became a worship the creation, not the creator. Yeah, and everything in my in the fiber of my being wanted to say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, and he is the only way, and you know there is. You know, there's only one God. You know, other right. guys but Him, and He and uh, He guides my path, and and you know I can't do anything without Him. But I stayed quiet, and He walked outside, and I sat there, and shook for a while, and I finally went outside to see what was keeping Him, and we had this exchange, and I told Him. And I, and you know, I had told God, you're going to have to show me that you're real. Hmm. I need you to show me. Uh, I've, I've trusted, I've trusted, I've trusted. My trust has been violated in so many different ways. And I just want to believe, but I need you to give me some reassurance. And, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but I had a God moment. I mean, I felt it was dead of winter and I felt warm from my head to my toes hmm. and I felt like a and the only way I can describe it is like a beam of light hit me at the top of my head and went through my body I felt warm and I looked at him and I spoke the words that I said earlier I believe in Jesus and he is the only way and none of his creation is worthy of being worshipped and I just went off right and it was fascinating because it felt like it was an out-of-body experience i mean i did not feel like i was the one speaking um and you know maybe that's relatable to some people maybe not it was almost see because here's i've wrestled with this yeah Uh, because i've talked with my wife Shannon about this different people have brought on the podcast maybe they'll share it on the podcast or afterwards a really almost bizarre story and this is a bizarre story right and Okay, here, so here's an example. When my wife and I were, we were pastoring in Toronto, I'd have different people that would come to the church, and they'd come to the church because they were watching what I would view as a prosperity speaker on TV. And the prosperity speaker said something about getting connected with the local church, and so they showed up, right? And in my mind, I'm kind of reconciling these two things because I know that person. I'm like, okay, there are some things I really adamantly disagree with them. But yet, undeniably, I think God used them in a roundabout way. And 
it's funny because I think we're often quick to, you know, gloss over these things. These, these, you know, if you're interviewed on Good Morning America, this isn't exactly the story you lead with right away because they're like, wait, who, what, what? We'll um, be back after this break. <laughs> with a new guest. <laughs> yeah. And, and But that's, you go back to the book of Acts in the New Testament. You have these stories that are very unexplainable, a little bit bizarre. And it's, it's a reminder to me that God often works... He works where people are at, but often in, in very um, seemingly bizarre ways to accomplish his purposes. And um, I, going back to what you said about putting God in a box, right? Yeah. Well, and that that's something that, you know, earlier you asked me, like, what is something that you took away? That is the biggest takeaway I think that I came out of all this experience that I've had is, look, you know, we want to put God in a box because we want to understand God. Yeah. We want to have that full understanding. I mean, how many times have we heard that before? Full understanding. God doesn't fit in your box. Are you comfortable now today, like not understanding God? I still want to know more. Yeah. I, I think that's something that uh, maybe gets misconstrued from time to time. Yeah. Is there's a difference between you know, knowing God and wanting to know more about God, mm. you know, mm. it's, it's not an all or nothing game. How do you reconcile those two things? Going back to that time, I think it was in Iraq, right? Where you're protecting this guy or Afghanistan, Afghanistan, where you're protecting this guy who has sex slaves, right? And you're, you're at least like, you're helping to, to train them at least that, how, how do you reconcile that, that God is still God there and that he's still God in, Idaho with the seemingly great life that you live today. How do you reconcile those, those two things? Um. It might actually be a bigger concept than that. So in the West, there's a common thread, especially in the West. It's not really in, in the rest of the world. For whatever reason in the West, it's really taken hold. And that is that man at his root, at at his root, is good. Mm-hmm. At his root, man is good. And uh, it sounds great, right? I mean, if man is fundamentally good, then we will progress towards a better society. Yeah, There's lots like of the, hope the, towards that. the future yeah. looks bright, right? Um, and. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that's biblical. <laughs> that's 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 I don't think that's a biblical worldview. However, um, for me, I, I saw that as okay. Well, how do I how do I take the fact that terrible things are happening, and yet God is good? How do how do I piece that together? And f- and for me, well, God is good. And man is not. Hmm. Yeah. You know, the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, only through, you know, God can we not be that. In a weird way, almost when you see the worst of humanity, do you, do you understand better the, 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 lack of a better term, the best of God? Is that um, where you... 
at least you understand them at, at, at a level deeper where it's it's then perhaps we understand them like you said in the west today i see i think this the west has been blessed right and we have certain cultural norms that are based off of um, values that have been passed down from um, God-fearing people. And they've been ingrained in this society to the point where we can have this illusion that man is fundamentally good. Yeah. Because, yeah. well, I would never do such a thing. Right. Well, why wouldn't you? But you don't look back at history. I think it's a lack of historical rootedness. We don't yeah. look back in history and great book I'm reading right now, how Christianity changed the world. I think I referenced it last podcast as well. Um, you go back and you look at civilization after civilization and it's, it's just fascinating, mind blowing at how depraved civilizations could be. Go back to the old Testament days. Right. And you look at some of the, the laws that you see it, that God instituted in the old Testament. And sometimes we look at them and we're like, what, what what's that about? But then you look at the surrounding cultures and what's happening in context of that and it's just insane right it's just the, the differences and how progressively like like the ideals that are that god instilled like you know in jesus when coming to earth and, and how he elevated women and, and all these things that we take for granted today that were revolutionary concepts in their time right and how again having this foothold like you're saying of, of judeo-christian values that happen over time um we kind of rest on that the culture of that and not necessarily um get in touch with uh, the person behind the culture of that in jesus christ so just shifting gears here you are i think officially right now this is the longest podcast we've ever done on the money christian so congratulations thank you record holder right here <laughs> We didn't haven't talked as much about what you're doing right now, but one of the reasons, the, the biggest reason I wanted to bring you on was to really talk through, and not just gloss over that, but to really talk through that journey of, okay, you started in a Christian household, and then, man, go through these experiences, and then find your way back to faith in Christ, because I think that's a journey, sometimes people call it a deconstruction journey, um, whatever, however you would want to phrase that, and I think your, your journey can be so valuable to people that are going going through that. So what's your life look like today? You got into politics. Give us a quick snapshot of that. Yeah. Uh, I did not – I moved back to Idaho because I wanted to be left alone, right? It was after I got out of the court and I was just ready to disappear into the mountains. 2015? 2014. 14. Um, but God had other plans, and uh, it wasn't six months after I – was professing and had bought in. I was I was all in for God. That God started a, a new path for me, and opportunities started to open up. And in 2020, I ran for the legislature, uh, House of Representatives, in here in Idaho. Um, you didn't want to do that, right? No, no. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt like it was out of my box. Uh, I, I'd intentionally put you know pulled pulled away from. Uh, any any public appearances <laughs> yeah um didn't really love talking in public it was challenging it still is to be honest with you i mean i have to work through that stuff um but uh god had other plans and that's something that oftentimes we think that we're uh 
we're all used up when we're when hmm. we're empty, right? Hmm. Well, God can't use me anymore because I'm just burnt out and I just have too many questions and I'm just. Uh, in in my experience, He's usually preparing you for the next phase of your life. Hmm. Um, so maybe as a as a word of encouragement uh, to some folks out there, just because you don't feel like you're in the spot where you're doing the most you can or, you know, you don't feel like you're quite at 100%. Maybe God's, maybe you went through a rough time. You know, God's probably preparing you for something. Hmm. Um, he uses those who are willing. Hmm. And uh, so I, I ran for office, uh, did not, I wanted God to tell me that I was going to win because I don't like to lose. Um, unfortunately, God did not speak through the clouds and tell me that I was going to didn't win. Didn't bring back your buddy. He didn't to start following you in the park <laughs> he, again. He, he didn't. <laughs> um, so what I ended up uh, doing is I felt convicted that I should run, and I prayed that God would t- let this pe- uh, cut pass, and it didn't. <laughs> that bad, huh? <laughs> no, it was bad. I trust me. I was uh, I was not not excited, but. Uh, you know, once I felt, I felt strong that like God was telling me, just run, see what I do, just run. And so I ran and I ended up winning. Um, and so I've served the people of Nampa for two years in the house of representatives. So this is a part of you. It's like, Oh man, I won. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I did not know what I was going to do. Yeah. I, I, um, there was a gap, right? So I had a, an election victory. And then there was a period of time before I went into session and I was just beside myself. Like I put out my hands, you put something in my hands and I don't know what to do with it now. Yeah. Um, but you know, God's been able, I, I believe to use me to speak some truth, uh, on very hard issues that culturally are just, all too often, we're very judgmental of people who have fallen into, yeah, what this world is selling. Well, in many ways, he, he used you know? some of the brokenness and the things you went through, right, to have empathy for people to speak, uh, to have uh, have the voice, right, for for people that maybe don't have that voice. And uh, yeah, it's, it's such a powerful, I think, a powerful reminder of the ways that God works. Um, what would you say to the person that's listening to this and they're at a place where they've, they want to believe, but they're kind of at the, also at that spot where everything feels fake in a way. And they're saying, God, I need you to speak to me in a dramatic way. If I'm going to follow you, what would you say to a person like that in closing? Well, if my experience speaks for anything, it's don't stop asking. Um, I'm a believer because I I didn't stop asking and and I didn't run. I didn't feel anything, but I didn't run away. And so if you're if you're one of those people that's out there that's that's seeking you want God to to show you something new, something that that'll really strengthen your faith. Don't stop asking. Hmm. Um but uh be ready because he he might he might shock your pants off you know and i love that idea of doing the next right thing right you sent sense okay hey 
I kind of think maybe God wants me to run. So you run, right? And then you win. <laughs> and now you're going on to the Senate and all this stuff. So all this progression, right? Um, and, and I love that there's that combination of like terror. Okay, God, what are you doing? But also, okay, well, I'm, I'm trusting you step by step. So we're over time. But Ben, man, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Best pe- place they can follow you. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. I have a uh, website, benadamsforidaho.com where you can uh, look up my, the political side of my, of, of my life. And then I have at the Ben Adams three mm. on Twitter, uh, you know, go at your own risk. <laughs> Twitter's kind of a dumpster fire. Um, but those are two places you can find me. And um, on my website, if you want to ever reach out to me on my website, again, it's benadamsforidaho.com. Uh, there's a phone number there and, a, and an email too, if you ever want to reach out. And thank you for joining us. It's been good. Thank you. Well, I hope you found that conversation helpful. I personally, I love bringing guests when we're actually like in face to face. Usually, our guests are like you know miles and miles away on Zoom calls, and it's okay. But being able to sit down for like over an hour, and again, our longest podcast to date, I think. And just have this honest, open conversation uh, was really helpful for me. And I hope that that came through in the conversation and was likewise helpful for you. If you want to reach out, email me at Ezra at themondaychristian.com. Leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff that I usually tell you to do. But until next week, thanks for listening once again. And I'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.